you could get it on Kindle for a, a pound or thereabouts. Um, but if you prefer a hard copy, then the first person to come to me when I'm outside of this room can borrow this one. Um, but it's only a pound. I would recommend that you get your own. Um, and I don't know everyone here, and not everyone knows each other. So I just want you to... Um, I'm only going to give you 30 seconds. Find someone you don't know and tell them your name <coughs> and what you're going to do this next week. Okay? I'm going to give you a three-second countdown and then 30 seconds to do that. Find, tell someone you don't know your name. Find out their name. Tell them something you're going to do this week and find out from them something that they're going to do. Three, two, one, go. 30 seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Great. Thank you. You can either go back to your seat or if you really struck it with the person you were talking with, you can sit next to them. And I wasn't just doing that so that you got to know one another. As I say, I don't know everything that lies ahead of us this week. But I think that whatever we do, loyalty, whatever we go, what we, whatever it is that we're planning to do in this coming week, loyalty will serve us well. If you're planning to lead someone this week, it will be good if you're loyal to that person and that person is loyal to you. If you have to follow somebody this week, it will likewise be good. If that person leading you is loyal to you and you can in turn give your loyalty to that person. I've got some questions. <coughs> and J Judas is known for what? Betrayal. Betrayal. So who's known for the opposite? Because w we only know what betrayal is because we've been showed loyalty. Otherwise... We wouldn't know betrayal if no one... If, if my parents had not been loyal to me, if my siblings had not been loyal to me, then I wouldn't know what betrayal is. So Judas is known for betrayal, for disloyalty. But maybe just go to the, the final question. It'll appear on the screen in a minute. Have a think. Who's the most loyal person that you know? Who's the most loyal person that you know? Just think for a moment. And definitely one of the most loyal people that I know is Dong, and he's not here because I knew I was going to preach on this, so I asked him to go and take a retreat. Dong's someone who uh, came to faith. He was brought up in a communist um, country in China, then came to the UK, came to faith when he studied at university, and at that time, Shofar was meeting in Tooting, close by the university. And maybe it's partly become, because he comes from China and they have a one-child policy, or they did at that time at least. It's uh, somewhat relaxed now. But he's a very loyal person. And I knew that he, even if he doesn't understand all the principles that there might be in this book, and I do encourage you, please have a read of the book, because I'm just going to touch on a little bit. He's a loyal person. And whoever it was who came to your mind when you asked yourself this final question, who's the most loyal person you know? If not Judas, then whom? I'm going to suggest, or not even suggest, I'm going to tell you that they're not the most loyal person because all of us have some disloyalty within us. Dong has it, I have it. We all have got some disloyalty within us. 
But the most loyal person, if not Judas, then it's another J, an ending in S. And if you don't know the answer in church, you probably just can put up your hand and say Jesus. Jesus was the most loyal person. He is the most loyal person, rather, and he demonstrated that loyalty while he was on earth. Now, I'm not going to spend the rest of the time that we've got together looking at much of Jesus' life, although we will quote him on a couple of occasions. But just have a look. Just find yourself a Bible or even just a New Testament and find out some of the things that he did. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you'll find out what loyalty is because you'll see it in his life. What do you do if you find out a family member is a spy? I remember I was a child and I read an article... No, I didn't read an article. I just read the headline. And it was a woman who'd found out her husband was a spy. I'm a bit older than nearly everyone in the room. And so the Cold War was quite cold when I was growing up. And the headline of the article said, I love my husband, but I love my country more. I didn't really understand it. Because although the Cold War War was a reality, it wasn't day-to-day. It wasn't as if we could see the missiles that might have been pointing at the UK. But that's what she said. I love my husband, but I love my country more. And I forget the details. I didn't even think I read the article. But I now understand a bit more about maybe what she went through. If your best friend and your sibling plan their wedding on the same day, which one do you go to? Whose invitation do you accept? Or rather, who do you disappoint But the question another way is, who's closer to the center in your circles of loyalty? So if you're a Christian, then God is at the center of your circle of loyalty. That's why when we come and we praise and worship, God isn't physically present in the room, but we declare our allegiance to him. We're showing our loyalty to him. That's one of the ways in which we do it. But then there's circles outside of God. And it's kind of sometimes difficult to know spiritual family or natural family. Where does that distinction lie? The best thing to do is, if you follow God and your natural family don't, then pray that they become also your spiritual family. That's the best thing. And it's not to say that when that happens, there won't be any questions of loyalty. There will still be questions of loyalty. But that's the best thing that you can do. If God isn't in the center of your life as your primary center circle of loyalty, then the best thing you can do is to put him there. The best thing you can do is to put him there. But know that if you put him there, whoever else is currently there will be displaced. Because he doesn't do number two. He will not do number two. He won't settle for second best. That's why we often call him Lord. Lord means what he says and not what I say. What he thinks and not what I think. And that's one of the reasons why I can say Jesus is the most loyal person. Because when he was here on earth, sent by his father, he did what his father wanted him to do. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he did it because it was what his father wanted him to do. He was loyal to his father. He was loyal to the point where he said, not my will, but your will be done. Whether, but as I said, whatever we're going to do this week, recognizing loyalty or disloyalty in myself or yourself and in others will be a good exercise. It, it's a good exercise because we're going to need loyalty. Our theme for the year, the whole of Shofar, so the Shofar congregations across the world, so in Surrey and in the Netherlands and then in Africa, our theme is being one. We're quite a diverse group, different nations, different languages spoken in our services. Some of us went to Malawi at the end of last year. But the oneness and the loyalty that God has for us and offers us is one that goes beyond any natural, any national, any ethnic, any cultural, any other tie has to come second to being one with God, and if we're one with God, we're one with his people. 
I can't say that I'm loyal to God but not loyal to church. It doesn't work like that. It's lustful. I say that it's lustful. The church is the body and Jesus is the head. So the two go together. A severed body is not much good. I can't separate, differentiate between loyalty to God and loyalty to God's people. And then this one, I don't know if this resonates with you at work. You've just spoken with your boss. Your boss has got something for you to say, something to say to you, and your boss chooses not to say it because your boss has already told it to a very junior person, the last one in, the most junior, and that person gives you the instruction instead of the boss. How do you feel then? Now, if your loyalty is to the boss, then it doesn't matter who gives the instruction. The boss can give the the instruction through whoever it may be. Christians should be the most loyal workers. They're on time. Staying late if need be. Not to neglect responsibilities at home. If you have to leave on the dot, then you have to. But willing to go early. Willing to stay late. Willing to do the jobs that nobody else will do. Willing to submit our will to the will of the boss. And this is whether we work for a Christian or whether we work... I work for the church and I work for um, a university. So it doesn't matter which one of those roles I'm working in. Both of those roles, I need to show loyalty to my bosses and I'll show you why very soon. I've got a quote and I just wonder... Some of you might be able to work out who said the following. Loyalty, ultimately, is not something that one does but a manifestation of one's identity. Loyalty is who you are, a sacred and deeply held spiritual allegiance. Now, I don't expect you to know, but I do expect, I know that many of you know the person who said it, and the person who said this is Fred May. Fred May is a senior pastor of Shofar. He founded Shofar in 1992. And then he went on to say the following. It's important for the disciple to remember that loyalty comes in narcissistic. Narcissism is, Fred pointed this out, it's not so much love of self, but it's love of the image of self. Love of what? Love of the self that I portray. Love of the self that I want people to think of. So, but think, think self-centeredness. It's important for the disciple to remember that loyalty comes in a self-centered, narcissistic guide as guise as well. And once their need has been satisfied, their loyalty simply dissipates. The situation is very similar to narcissistic love that harbors strong feelings, not so much for the person, but rather for the thought of them. Loyalty is on Fred's heart. It's vital for us as shofar in this season that we understand loyalty. And that's why I'm preaching on it now. And even though Carlos and I didn't do this intentionally, Carlos is preaching a similar sermon in Weybridge today. We didn't plan that when we got together on Wednesday and chatted about what we were going to preach on. We both said we're going to do the same. We need to understand loyalty for the season that we're in. But even if you're not part of shofar and even if you're not part of any church. Loyalty will serve you well if you can recognize this loyalty in yourself. Now, I mentioned I've got lots of slides and I'll go through them. Please take some notes if you can. Have a look at the book and we'll send out details about the book. But even if just one or two of us identify one or two stages of disloyalty and then implement some changes because of those. And on the flip side just can implement, put into place just some characteristics of loyalty, then this will be worth it. But this is going to be vital for where we're headed this next year. Just one thought about this. Strong feelings, not so much for the person, but rather for the thought of them. When I... If I said the term self-sex, you wouldn't know what I meant. But if I said masturbation, you would. The children have gone, so it's fine. That's why masturbation is not right. Because sex is a gift to be shared. So it's not that I have a thought of someone and my needs might be met and then when my needs are met, 
then I don't care about the person. That's why I find it helpful to think of masturbation as self-sex. Sex cannot be self-sex because sex is a gift from God and that gift is to be shared. Because loyalty comes in this narcissistic guise, it's important for us to be able to recognize disloyalty. And I'm going to use some scriptures and we're going to use a couple of examples. Anybody support West Ham? Does anybody support West Ham? Okay. So West Ham have a star player called Dimitri Payet. And this last week he came out and said, I will not play for the team. So I don't know if this was a question. Maybe I didn't put it up there. Would you rather have ability or availability? So think in your own life, or if you have to lead people or manage people at work, would you rather have ability or availability? So it doesn't matter how good Dimitri Payet is, if he says, I will not play for the team, he may as well be worse than me. Because if he's not going to play for the team, then his presence in the team is not going to benefit the team. In fact, it's going to cause disunity and disruption within the team. And that's why footballers this week have been saying the best thing, even though West Ham don't want to sell him, even though he's their star player, the best thing they can do is cash in and get rid of him. And if there were any West Ham fans, I'd refer to yesterday's match, but there aren't, so I won't. The first stage of disloyalty is independence. The first stage of disloyalty is independence. Now, independence in itself isn't bad, but independence in an organization is bad because it's the first stage of disloyalty. Someone who says, I'll do that, but I'll do it here. Or I'll do that, but I'll not do it then, I'll do it now. So, can you think of examples of institutions where independence is unhelpful? Now, maybe you, you think of a situation at work and think, yes, that institution. Church is an institution instituted by God, and independence in church is not good. Independence is not a bad thing, but independence in the institution of church is a bad thing. And it, it works for me as well. So I'm not just saying that as a leader of this congregation, you have to be independent and submit to me. If I come along with my ideas and preach my ideas and don't submit those ideas to Fred's ideas, then my independence is harmful to this organization. And the better thing would be that I wouldn't be. I've got a choice. I either submit my ideas to those of Fred's and I preach his and not mine, or I go and do my own thing. I can't. If I stay within, then that's probably exacerbating the disloyalty. Imagine a parent who thinks that his own need to go on holiday is greater than his need to take his children on holiday. Or imagine a soldier who thinks that his own life is worth life, worth more than the life of the monarch in whose army or the president in whose army she or he might be fighting. It's independent, and it's not good for the organization. It's the first stage. And I'm not preaching any of this to condemn anyone. I've been through this book. All shofar pastors have to go through this book this month and then write an assignment on it. You don't have to write the assignment. But I'd encourage you just to read through this book if you've not read it. Loyalty is going to be absolutely vital for where we're headed as a church. Absolutely vital for where we're headed as a church this year and beyond. And the second stage of disloyalty is offense. This is Jesus saying, many will be offended, they'll betray one another and will hate one another. Before Judas got to the betrayal, he had an offense. It may well have been to do with money. He was the one who looked after the money. Money's a good thing at times, but it, money tends to 
money-induced love. By which I mean, there's a spirit behind money. Money's not bad. Independence isn't bad. But independence within an institution is. Money's not bad. But a love of money can tear families apart. Maybe some of you have seen that in your own families or you've seen it portrayed on films. It's true. When love of money enters relationships. But the offence might not be money. It might be a slander from years ago that hasn't been dealt with. People betray when they're offended. And if you can recognise the offence before the betrayal, then it gives you an opportunity to maybe just... We were singing it earlier. Forgiven so that I can forgive. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Even if we don't pray regularly, if we prayed at school, we might know the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I have no right to be offended with anyone else, however harshly they may have treated me, whether they be people I'm leading or the people who lead me. I have no right to be offended with them any more and while at the same time expecting God to forgive me. I have to forgive whatever it may be. God hates abuse. God doesn't want anyone in an abusive situation, especially children. And he'll go all out to protect vulnerable people from that. But he says, forgive. And the reason he can tell us to forgive is because he forgives us. He offers us forgiveness. But if we accept God's forgiveness, we must forgive those who've wronged us. And then the third stage of disloyalty is passivity. I've got a verse, a curse on him, on the one who's lax, slow, lazy in doing the Lord's work. A curse on him who keeps his sword from bloodshed. Now there's a specific context to the verse. The point is this. If you're a soldier, skilled, trained, commissioned, and you don't use your weapon then you're not much good to the army that sent you. If God's given gifts, musical gifts or teaching children or relating to people or hospitality or teaching whether it be adults or children, whatever the gift God has given you, if we do not use them for the Lord's work, then we're being passive. That's why as hard as it is to wake up when it's dark on a winter's morning and be here at eight, as the band do, and set out the chairs and do whatever it might be, it's a good thing to do because it prevents us from slipping into passivity. It's hard. Yes, of course it's hard. The weekend's not long. And Saturday comes and goes and then Sunday you have to wake up early, stay late, pack up. But it's a good thing because it prevents us from slipping into passivity. And for those of us who are committed to church, coming on a Sunday doesn't do it. We're not the kind of church where you can just turn up once a week. We're the kind of church where we pray together, and the reason we pray together is so that we can hear what God says and then do what God says. And we meet together in small groups, and the reason we meet together in small groups is so that we can fellowship, but more than that, or through that, spending time together, disciple one another. That's why we meet together. That's why the vision of the church, you may have seen it as you came in, is to reach nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. That's what we do. We make disciples of Jesus. And every one of us who's involved in that process is a disciple of Jesus. You can't be a, I can't be a disciple of Jesus unless I'm discipling somebody else. That's what small group's about. And people who come on a Sunday but don't come at other times. Now, does God understand when we're busy? Of course he does. Does God understand when we're ill? Of course he does. Does God understand when we have family responsibilities? Yes, and if, their fam- if that family is far away, of course he understands. This isn't saying you have to be here, here, here. It's a question of loyalty. What's in the heart? And what's in the heart, scripture tells us, will come out. But people who are passive are not involved and they have time on their hands and then they're able to scrutinize, to criticize, and then ultimately to despise. To scrutinize, to criticize, and to despise. What's criticism? It's the next stage. Someone who's critical. How do you define criticism? Just have a thing, don't need to shout it out. But how would you define criticism? And just the working definition I'm going to go with 
is the noticing and magnification of faults. The noticing and magnification of faults. Now, do we all notice faults? Yeah, of course we do. But what do we do when we notice a fault? And I don't even know who quoted it, but we probably all know the quote. If we're not part of the solution, we're part of the problem. And if we don't commit ourselves, if we're not loyal to whoever it is, family, spiritual or natural, or just another individual, then when we notice their faults, we'll magnify their faults. If we're not loyal. If we are loyal, then love, Scripture tells us, will cover a multitude of sins. If you love someone, you'll get over their bad breath. If you really love them, you'll tell them. So that other people don't get offended if we really love each other. But criticism, Miriam and Aaron, they're not as famous as their brother, but they're older than their brother. They're the oldest siblings of Moses. And they said the following, it's Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. They began to talk against Moses. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. It's as if, I don't know if any of you look after children using a baby monitor. They can be in one room and you can be in another. It's as if God has a monitor on the whole world. So nothing that's said in secret is hidden from him. What I say about my boss, behind her back, he hears. He's got a monitor on it. Today, this morning, we were getting ready and some of the children were upstairs and I heard one of the children say to another one, that's not very nice. Because we had a monitor on in the room. If we didn't have a monitor in the room, we wouldn't have known what was happening. Romans chapter 13, I'm not going to show you part of it, but read it in your own time. The first verse tells us that all authority comes from God. And because all authority comes from God, what we do to a harsh boss It's as if we're doing it to God, to a boss, even if the boss is harsh. How we speak about them, how we think about them, it's as if we're doing it to God. Now, is it hard to work for a harsh boss? Yes, it is. Have I worked for a few? Yes, I have. Have I been bullied? Yes, I have. We can probably all give stories of that. But scripture is very clear. Even leaders who are harsh, we have to respect, honor, and when it comes down to it, we obey them. Now, if they're asking us to sin, then of course not. And that's why workplaces have policies and procedures. But we don't just have policies and procedures. If we're following God, then we submit ourselves to a higher authority. We submit to authority in earth because we're submitting to God's authority. Critical eyes will find imperfections, but love induces hope. Scripture tells us that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And because of that love, we've got a hope. If I love someone, I'll be hopeful for them, that they'll get over whatever it might be. One phrase that Doug uses in his book is that your point of view is determined by your viewpoint. Your point of view is determined by your viewpoint. If I'm looking at someone harshly, criticizing them, thinking, what have they done wrong this week? Then that will determine how I look at them. And then the next stage is politics. I mean, some people think politics is a dirty word and you can't talk about it at, at, at dinner parties. Politics is just life where there's more than one person. Absalom was the son of David, and while David was king, he stole the hearts of the men. He used to sit himself, position himself in a certain place by the gate, and hear what the people had to say. Being a listening ear is not necessarily a good thing because there's some things that shouldn't be heard and there's some things that shouldn't be said. Involving others, gathering a following who will believe with me that a problem's been identified that needs to be addressed. It's political. So disloyal people will ask questions, how did you find 
whatever it is, that boss last week, or the sermon today, how did you find it? What did you think? They probably won't say what they themselves think, but they'll just be there to listen and hear. Don't you think, or have you noticed? And then the next stage, I'm going quite quickly, but we've got the whole year to work through um, what it means to be one. Politics. Who said this? They'll go back, sorry, back to the politics quote. Uh, who said? There. At a time like this for our country, I cannot see how it makes sense for the opposition to plunge itself into civil war. I've never taken part in a coup against any leader of the Labour Party, and I'm not going to start now. I don't expect you to know the answer, but you can perhaps guess who, which kind of person it might have been. So think back to the summer last year. Okay? The UK just voted for Brexit in a referendum, and the Labour Party was thrown into disarray. And the, lead, the, the shadow cabinet of the Labour Party resigned, not en masse, but one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And the person who said this is Andy Burnham. He's the MP for Lee, which is, he was our MP before we moved to London, so I'm quite pleased, really. But the point is this. He said, I may not agree with Jeremy Corbyn. Andy Burnham stood against Jeremy Corbyn for leadership of the Labour Party. But he said, I've never been involved in a coup, and I will not start now. If he doesn't agree with Jeremy Corbyn, that's irrelevant. If you don't agree with what the preacher says, it's actually irrelevant. You're still in the same church. You're still in the same congregation. If I don't agree with something that Fred's saying, I'm still in shofar. I have to get over it. It's not my job to go being a sounding board for people who might be disaffected. And then the next stage is deception. There's an end point of disloyalty. I'm gonna, it's not such a good end point. But those who rebel end in destruction. But not many people, some people intend to self-destruct. A few people intend, but not many do. And the reason why there are many rebellious people is because they're deceived. Now, I'm deceived if I think I'm new in this job and my ideas are better than the person who's been doing it a long time. I'm deceived. Because scripture says no student or servant is greater than the master. Scripture also says that the one who sent is not greater than the one who sent him. So maybe I've got some new ideas. Maybe I might be more competent in a certain way. It doesn't matter. I'm not greater than the one who sent me. There's no ambassador of the queen who's greater than the queen. She sends them to represent her in other nations. And if it comes to who has the seat of honor or who gets the microphone, when the queen's in that country, the ambassador makes way. No one who's sent is greater than the one who sent them. And I've said this, communion keeps us humble. We have communion when we eat bread and drink wine. We have it together, sometimes more than once, as a congregation. I'd encourage you to do it weekly in your family or do it in small groups according to your small group leader. Check it out with them. Because communion reminds us that we remember Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about my purpose. It's not about my life. It's about his purpose. It's about his life. And it's very quickly the next two stages. And once you get down to this level, then it's not good. Open rebellion is open rebellion. I'll do what I want. You can say what you want, but I will do what I want. And you may have seen this in church. You may have seen it at work. It's actually kind of rampant throughout the UK. And because it's rampant throughout the UK, it's rampant through the church in the UK because we're not distinctive enough from the rest of culture. The leader might say that, but I'm going to do this. And then the next stage, read the book, Execution. And I'm not going to spend too long, but just have a look. Just note these words. See what happened to Lucifer. No, Scripture doesn't use that word, Lucifer, but it's referring to the angel who was cast out of heaven. He took a third of the angels with him. So he managed to persuade in that political stage a third of the angels to join him. 
But what happened to these people? Some of us might know what happened to Judas. He killed himself. Rebellion isn't good. Rebellion ends in destruction. Now that's all quite heavy stuff, but it's useful. It's useful if you think, am I going to be loyal or disloyal this week at work? Am I going to expect others to be loyal of loyal to me if I'm not loyal to them? I don't think that followers will be more loyal than their leader. <coughs> they may not be as loyal as their leader, but I think the leader sets the tone. Fred's a loyal person. And because he's loyal, he can expect demand, in my case. He can demand loyalty. It's a chain of command. Why do we have chains of command? If you think of an army, chains of command exist so that people don't die unnecessarily. That's why chains of commands exist. All authorities from God. So that's what to watch out for. You know, when I was going through that list, did one or two hit a bit home, hit home a bit hard? And just acknowledge that. Speak with your small group leader. This is what I think I might have, I might show. If I do, please just pull me up, give me a wink, chat with me, pray for me. But then also loyalty. And those stages come from Dag's book, and most of this comes from some of Fred's teaching very recently. What, what can we do? So rather than those stages, rather than slip down that slide, and it is a slide, once we start off at independence and think it's okay, it's a slide. And some people might say, I'm in control. Maybe you are in control going down the slide, but slides go down. So you might be in control of your self-destruction, but it's not a good thing to be. It's not a good place to be. Rather than that, rather than those stages, what should I do? And the first one is this. Have a deep respect for all, maybe first and second, and never shame. Now there's a story in scripture, you don't read it in, um, in children's Bibles. You read all about the flood, because it's a very child-friendly story with lots of animals. But after the, um, after the flood died down, Noah um, planted a vineyard. That was his job. And then he got drunk. And he lay naked in his tent and exposed himself. Now one son saw him and went and told the other two, and the other two, I'm going to act it out a bit, they took a sheet and they walked him backwards into the tent so that they wouldn't see their father's nakedness and they covered his nakedness. That's what respect for leaders is. I see their mistakes, their foolishness, even their wickedness, but I respect them still the same. That's the respect for all. And I didn't write it, but especially those in authority. Because when we respect those in authority, it's as if we're respecting God. And he honors that. Even if your boss is harsh, even if your boss bullies you, if you respect them, God will honor that. Have a deep respect for all. And in particularly leaders, and in particular leaders who show weakness. Which leader doesn't show weakness? I mean, our queen doesn't show much, does she? She had a cold over Christmas. But she doesn't show much signs of weakness. But when you get close enough to a leader, then you'll see their weaknesses. Now, I don't know her weaknesses because I have been close to her, but only for a few minutes. I've not spent time alongside her to find out what her weaknesses are. All leaders have weaknesses because all authority is from God, but human authority is not divine authority. God knows that leaders mess up. God knows that. That's the first one, deep respect and never shame. So those two sons who were honored, and just read it in Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 to 27. Those sons were honored, and there was a curse on the son who saw his father's nakedness. Now you might think that's harsh. You can understand why this story is not in the children's books. You might think it's harsh. But actually, not only did he see it, but he chose to go and talk about it. I can imagine maybe the smirk on his face. If you see your leader mess up, what do you do? Go and tell the others in the political phase of disloyalty so that I can garner support and gather a following. Or do I cover their weakness? Not cover up, 
It's not cover up, it's cover the weakness. Cover the weakness. If people don't need to know, then I'm not going to tell them. And who needs to know, really? Who needed to know that Noah was naked and drunk in his tent? Who needed to know that? No one needed to know. The other brothers didn't need to know. And then I've used a couple of acronyms just to keep you thinking. Give the B of the D rather than C-A-C. The B of the D? Benefit the doubt. Now the C-A-C is one that I made up so you might not know it. It's correction, analyzing and coaching. I don't correct my leaders unless they ask me to and then I've got the platform to do so. It's not my job to correct, to analyze or to coach. When Fred comes here, it's not my job to say what I think he should have done better. When Carlos preaches here, it's not my job to say that I wouldn't have said it quite like that. It's not my job. It's to give the benefit of the doubt. And if we love someone, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So if you're finding it hard at work, ask God, please give me love for this boss, whoever she or he may be, or at home, if your boss is at home, or in the home. Look, authority can be, um, you know, there's, <coughs> there's the queen and all her delegated authorities. There's the people we have to give authority to in work, whoever our boss may be. There's our families, there's authority within families. And then there's authority within church. There's different spheres. If there's no authority, then there's anarchy. I don't know if you've been anywhere that's anarchic. It's not a place to be. It's not a place to be. Give the benefit of the doubt before I correct my leader or analyze their actions or coach them. Now, it's all kind of quite heavy stuff. So here's a love story, but I'm not going to read it. It's Ruth. It's a very short book. Have a look in your own time. And the story... is one where a woman has two sons and those sons die after they've married. And so she's got two daughters-in-law who are widows. And then she says to them, go back and find someone to marry. And one of them does. One of them does go back and find someone to marry. And we don't know anything else about her. But the one who stays said this. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That's covenant. That's what marriage is. We're together no matter what, apart from death. And you could even say that Ruth went beyond death. Where you die, I'm going to die. And? There I will be buried. In other words, I'm not going to go back even, my body's not going to go back. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Now it's quite a love story, have a read it if you don't know the story. But the point is this. David, King David, the father of Absalom, came from this line, the line of Boaz and Ruth, just four generations down. And from his line came Jesus. That's what loyalty is, and that's loyalty that God shows to us and the loyalty that he expects from us. Complete, absolute, total, all-encompassing and forever. Nothing of mine is outside of this covenant with you. And I'm not going to put a time limit to this covenant. It's for the rest of life. Unequivocal verbal affirmation. It's not really part of our culture, I don't think. We think people are gushy. And maybe when people worship in this way, some people might look at us and think, that's a bit gushy, a bit sentimental, I'm not into that. Even if people think that, our loyalty is to God. And I'll express my loyalty to God. That's one way in which we do it. It's not the only way, it's just one way in which we do it. I'll express my loyalty to God, even if people think I'm a bit foolish. Now, obviously, 
that can be a line. But we know in our hearts where our loyalty lies. Jesus said, anyone who's ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of them. And what Fred points out is this. There's the person and there's the office. So Fred is a person who's struggling to save his marriage, having brought up two boys successfully. That's who he is as a person. And then there's the office that he has of profit. And I need in my mind to differentiate between the two. As a person, does he need me to coach him? No, he doesn't. But as a person, are there things that are faulty? Yes, there are. But if God gives him the office of prophet, then I have to respect that office. I may not agree with my boss. You may not agree with the pastor. Respect the office, even when the person's faulty. God honors that. God honors that respect. Just briefly, let me go through a couple of more, and then we'll finish. Don't even be witness to defamation or slander. So, so that's Ephesians 5 verse 4. Constant public verbal honoring. Don't be obscene. Don't talk foolishly. Don't make coarse jokes. Often we make them at the expense of people. But rather, give thanksgiving. Scripture always gives us a rather. It always says. It never says don't do this. So God doesn't say don't have sex because it's bad. God says wait until marriage to have sex because that's where it's best expressed and that's why I've given it. That's what God says. God says, don't be disloyal, but be loyal because it will go well with you. And then constant public verbal honoring and don't even witness defamation or slander. If you hear people being negative, next one, don't even be party to it. Sorry, there it is. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Someone who finds out a bit of information and then repeats the information at the right time, in the right place, in the presence of the right people, don't even be party to it. Even listening to it can be a sign of disloyalty. If people know at work that I will not be present in the room if someone's disrespectful of the boss, they'll make a choice. Do they want me in the room, in which case they won't be disrespectful, in which case my loyalty is rubbing off on others, or if they don't want me in the room, I'll leave the room. Being a listening ear won't help anyone there. Don't even be party to it. Last year, there was a situation, somebody wrote, made a statement, and then there was a question, who said what? The point is this, two people were in the room and stayed in the room. So it doesn't really matter who said what, because two people chose to have that conversation. Don't be party to it any time at work. And it's a law of, it's not, it's not, it's just par for the course. If your boss, well, whatever your boss is, just to slander them, it's, it's part of the course. It's part for the course. It's part of life. And scripture says, I don't want you to be part of that. Don't even repeat a matter. And don't give someone the opportunity to repeat a matter. Just stay away. Three more. Just flip the slides and then um, prioritizing commitments. And then the next one. Okay, self-sacrifice. And then the third, loyalty to the Lord. Prioritizing of commitments, self-sacrifice, loyalty to the Lord. I preached on Matthew 6.33 last week. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom and God's righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Do we all have other commitments? Yes, we do. Do some of us have to work weekends? Yes, we do. Do some of us have family far away? Yes, we do. Do some of us have people who, for whom we are caring? Yes, we do. But God expects a prioritization of our commitments. He expects it because he committed himself to us. Nothing that he has, has he withheld from us. Not even his son, whom he gave as a sacrifice for our sins. That's how committed God is to us. And because he sacrificed we can be called to sacrifice as well. God might say, give up your career. 
He has the right to do it. If he's Lord, he has the right to do it. God might say, give up that relationship, and he has the right to do it because he's Lord. Now, if he's not your Lord, then he won't even go there. But rather, he is the Lord. Some of us will acknowledge it here on earth, and some of us will only acknowledge it when we're forced to. Every knee, scripture tells us, will bow before Jesus, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It will happen. We can choose it now, or we can be forced one day when we are face to face with him. So he is Lord, but if I don't accept his lordship, he won't come coercing, he won't come twisting my arm at my back. Please give me this loyalty. He doesn't work like that. He invites us to be loyal to him. And the reason he can invite us, or the context in which he invites us, is the context of his loyalty to us, his sacrifice to us. We travel to Pakistan to visit family, and I've got second cousins there who I know will pretty much do anything for me. I don't know the language very well, but if I need to move around in that place, I can, because I know I've got people who look out for me. And I, I think back to one time when I was, I don't know, maybe just about 20, and the second cousins were very young at that time, and I said to them, we went to one village from another, and I said, I'll come back tonight. And when we got there, it was quite rural, there was no way back. But I'd said that I was going to be back. So what my dad helped me to do was to get motorbikes and riders, and that includes guns in the bags because it was a bit dangerous, to go back. It felt like something out of a film, kind of riding over train lines and all this kind of stuff. But when I got back, the young children who don't understand no, children understand loyalty. Children understand it. If you say it, you will do it. They understand that. Children understand it. If you hit my brother, even though I can hit him at home, you're not going to hit him in the park. Children understand it. It's a good thing. Now, is it, I don't want to encourage violence, but it's a good thing that children understand loyalty. They understand it, and somehow we get treated disloyally as adults or even as children, so we end up as adults who are disloyal. It's not an excuse, but it is what happens. Those children in Pakistan who knew that I kept my word, just that I was going to come back and spend that night with them, will now be loyal to me. Now, that's not why I did it. I just did it because I'd said to the children, I'm going to be there. A spouse should sacrifice anything for their spouse ahead of for their children. One thing that we need to teach our children, and they don't like it, you always say what Mama says. You always do what Sally says. It's good. Put them in their place from a young age that they know that my loyalty is to Sally ahead of to them. Why is it like that? They're children. Do they not need the adults, the parents? Of course they do. But they're going to grow and marry someone else and move away. But Sally and I are going to grow and stay closer and get closer. That's why that's, this relationship is more important. This relationship comes first ahead of that one. So when it comes to family commitments, so that God here in this first circle, and then, and then, and then, and then. Or just think of it as a pyramid. Who's at the top of my pyramid? And who comes next, and next, and next? One of the, it's just a basic way in which I live my life. Okay, I've got my pyramid. I don't compromise anything above for something below. And if I can just stick to that, then I think it's God's, recipe for life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Look, it's something we're going to focus on through the year. Being one. Becoming one. Being one. Being loyal to God. Being loyal to one another. Please stand as we close. Whenever somebody preaches, we give an opportunity for people to respond. And
I just want to address two groups of people because basically that's the differentiation that the scripture uses. People who follow God and people who don't. But whichever one of those we're in, God gives us an invitation either for the first time to put him at the center or if we have put him at the center and allowed other things or other people to creep in just to acknowledge that and then put those things in their place God is a God of order because he loves us that's why God is a God of order He knows how things work because he made. He knows how the world works because he made the world. I'm just going to ask if each of us just close our eyes. And if, I don't know why we're all here. I just know that we could have been somewhere else, even if it was in bed. But if you've heard even for the first time and you may not fully understand it if you've heard the call of God upon your life then in a moment I'm going to open my eyes and I'm just going to invite you just to just to do the same and raise your hand you might not have everything worked out and it's something on the one hand that shouldn't be done lightly but on the other hand it's something that God honours when we acknowledge his presence when we acknowledge his word then he's appreciative of that so just if there's anyone who wants to say God I would like you to be Lord of my life then just open your eyes raise your hand and then pop it back down and then for each of us God is a good, loving Father. He knows who we are and where we are at and what we're dealing with and who we have to be managed by tomorrow morning. And even before then, what's going on at home and even what's going on right now with inside of us. And God, I thank you. that the principles in your word are good that your commands and your instruction are given so that we can have long fulfilled lives God I want to acknowledge that often we put our own needs our own desire to be served ahead of yours God I thank you that you don't reward those who overachieve those who might be more concerned with their own needs or their own contribution God I thank you that you reward faithfulness those who are loyal those who will keep on keeping on those who are not motivated by love for themselves or love of their own contribution but those who are motivated by our loyalty to you. God, I thank you for your loyalty to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that on the cross you showed us how loyal our God is. And thank you that as we go through this year, open to you to speak to us, open to one another to hold us accountable for this. God, I thank you for the impartation of loyalty that will set us apart, not for our own sake or our own recognition, but so that you will be glorified. Oh Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. We're going to have some refreshments. So if you wanted to put up your hand earlier and didn't, or if you, you know God's speaking to you, then if he's mid-conversation, then you just maybe sit down and carry on. But if you need to respond, then we call people to the front because it's a, it's a sign of loyalty. Yes, God, I heard you speak. And I'm willing to walk to the front in front of other people to acknowledge that you've spoken to me. And someone will pray for you, myself or someone else.
no pressure to do that, but you're welcome. If you have a need of healing, Sally talks about LL in two weeks' time. Please come, please invite others. But you don't need to wait till then. Healing's a process. And some of us already may have started a process of healing, but if you want prayer for healing, then please come. We've got oil with which we can anoint you. Scripture tells us to do that. If you need prayer for any reason, please have it now before you leave this room and there's refreshments served whenever you're ready next door.